American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about one of the most historic churches in the United States, the Basilica of St. Louis the King in St. Louis, Missouri, which was the first cathedral west of the Mississippi and was the only building spared from the wrecking ball when the famous arch was built. You know, a lot of the stories we tell in this podcast are about people who did amazing things in a time long ago, and that distance in time could possibly give us a sense of, well, so what? Times are different now. But buildings are different. They're still there, standing through time. Structures like the Basilica of St. Louis the King stand as testaments in stone and glass to what and who came before us. So their stories can help us get a glimpse of the past and remember that we Catholics in this country have a rich and storied history also. In episode four of this podcast, we told the story of the Basilica of St. Fidelis in Victoria, Kansas, known as the Cathedral of the Plains, and the Volga Germans who built it. And in episode 38, we talked about the Basilica of St. Joseph in Milwaukee, which was built from the stone salvaged from the demolition of a federal building in Chicago. In this episode, we go to a time before the United States was founded and the Catholic roots of one of America's great cities, St. Louis, Missouri. Exactly. St. Louis was a Catholic town from the start. In the 1760s, what is now Missouri was under French control. Pierre Leclerc and his stepson, Auguste Chouteau, set out to establish a fur trading post near the confluence of the Mississippi and Missouri Rivers. In February of 1764, Chouteau was only 14 years old, and he arrived leading a group of men to start clearing the land and build the first structures. Leclerc arrived in April, and as they laid out the town, one of the very first things they did was carve out a block of land right in the heart of the new town for a Catholic church. From these earliest days, the town they platted and the church in it were named in honor of St. Louis. Now, St. Louis, for those who are unaware, was King Louis IX, King of France, from 1226 through 1270. He is the only canonized King of France and was an incredibly successful and obviously holy king. Many places around the world are named in his honor. So the first structure to serve as a church on the site was a one-room log cabin, which was in place by 1770. And we know it was in place by then because we know that in 1770, this church was consecrated by Father Pierre Jabot, an itinerant priest. Father Pierre Jabot figures prominently in American history because during the Revolutionary War, he helped the Americans defeat the British forces in present-day Illinois and Indiana. We told this story in episode 37 of this podcast. Right. So that house church served for a few years until they built an honest-to-goodness church structure, also of log construction, in 1776. Also in 1776, the town acquired a resident priest. So with a log church and a resident priest, St. Louis entered the 19th century, when things changed dramatically. The American colonies won their independence in 1781, And in 1803, the new United States of America took control of the land that included St. Louis through the Louisiana Purchase. So suddenly, the Catholics in St. Louis 
found themselves under the jurisdiction, or at least the ecclesiastical influence, of Bishop John Carroll of Baltimore. And at the time, he was the only bishop south of Canada and north of Mexico. That's right. They were still in the massive diocese known as the Diocese of Louisiana and the two Floridas, which covered present-day Florida, the panhandles of Alabama and Mississippi, and all of what was included in the Louisiana Purchase. But that diocese was without a bishop starting in 1803. In 1815, Bishop Carroll had Bishop William Dubourg made bishop of Louisiana and the two Floridas. He was consecrated in Rome and spent time in Europe recruiting priests and religious to come to the New World and help spread the faith. Among those who answered the call was St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, who was a Visentine Dean sister who came over to teach Native Americans. We told her amazing story in episode 50 of this podcast. The stories just keep intertwining here. So when Dubourg finally made it to his diocese in 1818, it wasn't his sea city of New Orleans that he went to. He made his home base more centrally located in St. Louis. Now, New Orleans was a really well-established and significant city by this point, so why didn't he want to go there? Well, because he'd been there. He had been apostolic administrator of that diocese for a few years, and as such, he resided in New Orleans before going to Europe in 1815. As apostolic administrator, he had experienced the corruption of the city, and especially that within the church. He decided that since St. Louis was much more centrally located in the vast territory that he was responsible for, and since it wasn't rife with corruption and church intrigue, he'd be far more capable to be a good bishop by setting up shop there. So he did. And one of his first orders of business was to address the church building situation. In 1818, he laid the cornerstone for a new brick church of St. Louis to replace the log church, which was way too small for the congregation, The city's population had grown significantly by this point. The old log church was deteriorating badly by this point also. That brick church was completed in 1821 and would serve capably for the next decade, but even bigger changes were on their way for the Catholics of St. Louis. But the next wave of growth would have to be overseen by another bishop. In 1826, Bishop DeBorg returned to Europe and resigned his post as Bishop of Louisiana and the two Floridas. That same year, the Diocese of St. Louis was established and Joseph Rosati, a priest whom DeBorg had recruited to help him in St. Louis, was named the first bishop. Continued population growth plus the new status as a diocesan sea city prompted Bishop Rosati to decide that a new, larger, and more grand cathedral was required. So in 1831, he laid the cornerstone for the new Cathedral of St. Louis, King of France. It took three years before it was ready to be consecrated, and then another nine years to be fully completed according to his vision. The new cathedral, now the first cathedral west of the Mississippi River, is built in Greek Revival style with a single spire reaching heavenward from the center of the facade. Hanging in the baptistry is a painting of St. Louis venerating the crown of thorns, which was given to the cathedral by King Louis XVIII of France, who was king from 1815, after Napoleon was finally defeated, until his own death in 1824. Engraved on the facade and gold lettering is a Latin inscription which translates to In honor of St. Louis, dedicated to the one and triune God, A.D. 1834. And above that, right in the center, are the Hebrew letters of the Tetragrammaton, the unpronounceable name of God. From its consecration in 1834 until 1914, this edifice served as the Cathedral of St. Louis, which was raised to an archdiocese in 1847. In 1914, the new, much larger and grander Cathedral of St. Louis was dedicated in another part of town, 
but the significance of the old cathedral as it came to be known wasn't forgotten. By the early 1930s, the part of the city of St. Louis along the riverfront, which was where Chouteau and Leclerc had originally established the city, had declined significantly. The Great Depression didn't help. In 1933, a lawyer in the city named Luther Eli Smith proposed a bold plan to improve the cityscape, to stimulate the economy, and to emphasize and celebrate the role St. Louis had played in the westward expansion of the United States. After all, it was from St. Louis that Lewis and Clark had set off westward to explore the Louisiana Purchase, and many pioneers would make their way to St. Louis before setting off into the unknowns of the West. The plan called for tearing down everything in a 40-block area and turning it into a national park with a significant monument of some sort to westward expansion. Smith had conceived of the idea after visiting the George Rogers Clark Memorial in Vincennes, Indiana, a town which also appears in episode 37, which we mentioned before. Smith saw what a park could do for a city and figured St. Louis had at least as good a story to tell as Vincennes, so they should have something. It was a contentious battle, though. Many landowners who were affected opposed the plan, as did the major newspapers. Most of those opposed couldn't figure why the city would want to eliminate that much land along the river, eliminating it for commercial use, you know, something more practical. When Smith was confronted by that thinking, he would say that sometimes things that had spiritual significance were at least as important. And these 40 blocks had spiritual significance in three ways. First, as the site of the founding of St. Louis. Second, as the stepping off point for all of that westward expansion for the U.S. as a whole. And third, of course was because it was home to the first Catholic parish in St. Louis and the first cathedral west of the Mississippi. Eventually, the plan was adopted. A bond measure to raise the funds to purchase the land through eminent domain was passed by the voters and President Franklin Roosevelt signed an executive order creating the Jefferson National Expansion Memorial in 1935. And the demolition began. The only building to be spared the wrecking ball was the last building from those early days of St. Louis, the old cathedral. Today, the Basilica of St. Louis the King sits surrounded by Gateway Arch National Park, which is what Jefferson National Expansion Park is now known as. The Basilica is a stone's throw away from Eero Saarinen's iconic Gateway to the West stainless steel arch, which was completed in 1965. The old cathedral was made a minor basilica by Pope John the Twenty Third in 1963, and was given a bit of renovation. Another massive renovation and restoration in 2015 removed carpeting, repaired wood floors, repaired deteriorated stone and metalwork on the exterior, restored historic millwork and other interior design elements, and really made it a beautiful space. Today, though it is just a personal parish of the archdiocese and doesn't have a huge parishioner base, it is a very popular place for weddings, and since it is near the arch, it remains a symbol of the important role Catholics and the Church have played in some of the key places and events in our nation's history. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review, and support the work of SQPN. Your support at sqpn.com slash give helps make sure American Catholic history and all the StarQuest podcasts remain available. To learn more about the Basilica of the Old Cathedral of St. Louis the King, 
To find previous episodes and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.